0: Of all the things that matter to you about God, God God cares about a lot of things in your life. He cares about your health. Um, When I'm sick, I I remember how others are also suffering. There are people suffering every week. I, I get through mine, and I'm fine. But there are many people out there suffering. He cares about the suffering. We should, too. He cares about the things you're going through in your life. He cares about your grades, Tyler. He cares about struggle. But the thing he's looking at the most in your life and the thing that he's trying to shape and change the most about you is this something that can't be seen by others. And even sometimes it can't be seen by yourself, I think. And that's called the heart. We're going to try to talk about the heart and try to define it according to the Bible and what it is that God wants to say about it. I passionately believe that if you'll allow God to speak to you through your heart, your life will change. That's how change happens. And this series has been all about life change, about growing, about spiritual formation, about moving from where you are to a closer place with God. God always wants you moving forward in him. And so that was my New Year's series, and I hope it's meant something to you. And we're going to finish it up with a com- uh, some, some work on our hearts, because I believe deeply if we understand the work of the heart in our life, as well as all these words that we talked about, it'll cause a surge of growth. And you can be a different person by the end of the year. And uh, you may have already forgotten what your New Year's resolutions were. Uh, I, I often do. I'll make a nice list and I go, oh God, I can't remember where the list is. But I'm telling you when it comes to spiritual growth, I'm taking that seriously for you and for me. I want you to grow. I want you to see your heart change, whatever your age I believe God wants to do something. By the way, there's some new research published by Barna that's pretty encouraging. It says this, according to their research. They've never asked me any of the questions that I often quote, but I believe they're out there. But it says that 74% of people still believe in God or what they call a higher power. Okay? And 74% of people in this research that they did said they desire to grow spiritually. And I think that's interesting. 74%. You know what that means? And you you might be cynical about that. You might say, well, they don't want to grow the same way I want to. Here's what it means. It means that 74% of our neighbors have some kind of open heart about spirituality. And who's got the answer for spirituality? God, you, me. So we need to be bold and daring. And I don't believe that Christianity is dying. There's a lot of people saying, ah, it's going away. It's not. It's growing, and it will continue. God's church will be victorious because Jesus is going to be victorious. But remember that people, just because they might say they don't believe in it the same way you do, doesn't mean that their hearts aren't open to something. So be bold, pray about it. Let's read from Scripture today and learn about the heart. First Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 6, and uh, we'll catch up to what it all means. When they arrived, we'll talk about who that was in a moment. Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Quote that with me. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Get that through your spiritual head, right? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. I love what the scripture says, we're talking about David, it said he was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. This is a great story. And there's a very interesting situation going on here. The scripture comes to us, of course, from ancient Israel. Israel has moved in their progression, we'll call it, from being led by a patriarch and then prophets and judges. And now Israel asks for a king, and they got their first king. It wasn't the preference of the Lord, but God cooperated with them and felt like this could work in a way. And so Saul was selected as king, legitimately so. He was selected and anointed by this guy Samuel. Samuel is a powerful, rock star kind of prophet. He is an amazing dude on earth. He is God's trusted mouthpiece on the earth at this time. He's special. And to be anointed from the prophet meant that the prophet was going to literally pour oil on his head, olive oil to the best we can tell, pour on him, and that would be a symbol of God's touch upon his life. Ancient Hebrew people were anointers, okay? This was common for them. You might come to visit in an ancient Hebrew uh, home and they would take some oil and they would smear it on your forehead and welcome you. That would be a, they would be bestowing honor upon you. And so it was common for them to anoint someone they cared about, someone they loved, someone they wanted to welcome. And it was also common for them to anoint a dignitary. Well God did it. It was a beautiful thing and it mattered to God and he would apply with when they touched the forehead or poured the oil on the the head of of someone who's about to become king. It was a real anointing from God. It was a blessing. It was an inauguration. And Saul became king and he did some good things as king. But there was this moment that Saul became disobedient to God. It was prior to a battle. It's a story right there but in short, he refused to wait for God's will to be done. Okay? And so God withdrew his anointing from him. And, and God said, We've got to pick another king, because God wasn't playing when it comes to the issue of obedience. So God abruptly goes to Samuel, tells him to go and get a new team, king, and he tells him where to go. He said, There's a guy in Bethlehem named Jesse. He's the dad. He's got all these kids, but there's one of them I want you to pick. And he didn't tell him the name. He just said, Samuel, I need you to go there. And that set up a problem for Samuel. Samuel knew that if the king knew that he was going to pick another king, he would kill him. That's how loving they were in those days. So God tells, him, uh, tells Samuel, look, when you go to Bethlehem, just say it's a spiritual visit, kind of a holy visit. And you're just going to worship and, and uh, do a sacrifice and have a sacrificial meal. And while you're there, you're going to pay a visit to this guy named Jesse. And the whole time Saul doesn't know he's doing this. Okay, so the man of God is working under the anointing of God, and he's going to do this thing. Even though Samuel had warned him earlier, first Samuel thirteen thirteen, he says, King, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord that the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. He's warned him. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, imagine the kind of power and influence that Samuel had to be able to say that to the king. That's that's pretty cool. And you may be saying, well, God is hard on the king. Well, yes, he was. Because he had anointed him to represent him to this earth. And being obedient as king was not negotiable to God, okay? This was a nation designed to be under the hand of God, period. That's what God wanted. And even though he's a human king... When the king, as he is appointed, was to rule as a representative of God, and God doesn't play. And he, here's here's the first lesson for us. It's not necessarily in your notes, but it's something we can already learn. No matter what your job title in life, you're a representative of God. God's called you to be an influencer for him, and he's serious about that, okay? And I'm not saying he's going to beat you up every time you don't do that, but there is a calling that comes upon our lives when God anoints us, and God God, that's important to him. It means something to him. And maybe God would have forgiven him and moved on, but there's no evidence here that Saul even had a desire to change. The point was this. Of all the things that mattered to God about having his king, when it came to having a king for his nation that he loved so much, the Lord was looking for a person with the right kind of heart to lead his people. Okay, And this is where we start to see this important concept of heart come out. Period. Period. Even early on, the scripture says that the Lord had given Saul a new heart. So Saul knew how to be obedient before God. However, under pressure, Saul's heart had changed. That's important to remember. He had become willing to disobey God because of pressure. Because he felt the pressure of winning a battle, primarily. Because he felt the pressure of making sure that he got all the gold and riches for the kingdom that he could have. And under that pressure, his heart shifted. And so Samuel goes over to Bethlehem, and one of the guys that was going to become the most famous people in the world is there in the town. His name's David. It's the same David who takes on Goliath, same David who's going to become a king, who wrote all this copious, wonderful poetry, played uh, instruments. He was a band guy. I love David. This was his introduction to the world. Okay, And this beautiful story unfolds. It's just amazing how God works even in the midst of people who don't get it. Because the prophet is visiting, a sacrificial feast is prepared. And so they ceremoniously go through all the purification, purification rituals, they roast a lamb or bull, and they celebrate. It's an exciting day for Jesse. The prophet is a celebrity. He's very powerful. And Jesse is thrilled that his, one of his sons is up for grabs as king. That means a lot to a dad. I would love it if my son became king. That would be cool. It would mean a lot to me if he could just get the trash emptied in the house. But if he became a king, I could forgive a lot of things about him. So he's excited. He's just a daddy. And so all the sons of Jesse are brought to this feast as we already read, except the one. And so Samuel sees the oldest ones, Eliab, okay? And Samuel, thinking like a human thinks, he says, this is obviously supposed to be the king. Good-looking guy, great jaw, probably nice haircut. I don't know, something regal about him. And Samuel, even in his, even, in, even with his spiritual heart, he thinks like a human and says, this has got to be the guy. But the Lord tells him quickly, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he's trying to teach Samuel something. And so now Samuel's got some spiritual insight. He goes through each son, rejects them all. And it becomes clear to Samuel somebody's missing, right? And that could have been for many reasons, but probably the biggest reason is David is just young. David is like a middle school kid, okay? That's who he is. He's 10 years old, 11, 12, 13. Who's in middle school? Anybody? Who's in middle school? Stand up, okay? (laughs) Middle school? David. Meet David. That's who he was, okay? So, so nobody wants to make you king, buddy. They, they're going to leave you home to mow the lawn. That's what happened on that day. He's the little guy. Okay. That, that's the truth. He's young. And so it doesn't even cross their minds that this guy could be king. Okay. And so Samuel asked, even though, you know, are these all sons you got? He said, well, they're still the youngest one. He's back, you know, working in the fields. And Samuel says, Hey, we're not going to eat till you go get him. I'm excited. Go get him. So he sent for him, verse 12, and had him brought in. And the Scripture even said, even though the Scripture is talking about his heart, it still says he's a hunk of a guy. He's glowing with health. He has a fine appearance and handsome features, just like our guy today. Glowing with health. And the Lord said immediately, rise and anoint him. I love it. Samuel took his horn of oil. He had it all filled up, poured it on him anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day forward there was an anointing upon this little guy to be king and david accepted that anointing and became somebody very special right again he's a middle school age guy and saul's going to stay on the throne for quite a while longer but the anointing is already on his life and this is so exciting for me to read he's the next king he's already chosen you know, God has plans for us. You somebody said it. You said it this morning. God has plans for us. And when God lays those plans in your heart, and even though you can't see it all, there's kind of an anointing that can go along with that. And so you just want to rest in that. Even though David's going to go through a lot of bad experiences before he becomes king, that anointing has still been given to him. He's been chosen by God. And the scripture makes it clear that even though he's handsome, he's not chosen because he's handsome. He's not chosen because he's physically fit or smart or even eligible to be a king. Even though he's all those things, he's picked because of something that God sees inside of him. And that thing is heart. In Acts chapter 13, many years later, Paul is going to preach about this. And Paul says, the people asked for a king and God gave them 40 years under Saul. And after removing Saul, he raised up David as their king, and God testified this about him. That's what Paul said. He says this, I have found David, son of Jesse, as a man after my own heart. And he explains what it means. He will carry out my will in its entirety. It's a beautiful thing. These are phenomenal words to have God say about someone. Phenomenal thing. And what God is saying to us is that David's heart connected to his own, that, that God's heart has been connected to David because David had such a desire. I don't know entirely why or what got David to this place because the scripture doesn't tell us. But it's got to have something to do with a passionate zeal to just love God, to just love God, to know God. It was in him as a kid. And that's so encouraging to me, and, and I really want to encourage that in you that you allow your heart to reach out to God. You know, lay aside all the layers of of church and life. All this is wonderful, but lay all that aside every now and then, and just say, God, I love you. I want to know you, and if I don't love you as I should, God, change my heart and help me just to become excited about you, David must have been amazingly committed inside of himself to God. And God saw that. Unusually so. It's noteworthy to me. And God is saying, I know I can trust David. He'll lead my people right because David has the right heart. David follows God with his heart. He can trust David to be king. And and there's huge lessons that surround that for us, huge lessons. And part of it begins with an understanding that our, our world is obsessed with physical things. We are. Uh, and I'm not here to make anybody feel bad. I, I'm glad you care about the way you look. I'm thrilled that all of you showered, took care of your hair. You look nice this morning. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. And health and fitness activities are wise, you know. And people know that. and And, and that's why people go to health clubs and... It, it, you know one of the fastest growing industries in america are health clubs another hugely and i'm not trying to step on anybody's toes uh, but one of the fastest growing medical practices in america is plastic surgery because people and we have a friend i mean she might be 80 years old but she looks 30 you know because she just keeps going to this thing and we marvel at it how you just don't grow she she participates in things she's very concerned about her parent and I'm, I'm i'm thrilled for it And people are constantly going on diets and joining weight loss programs, and billions of dollars are spent. Here's some stats. Stats down spiritual, so I'm going to give you some statistics. In the USA, there's like 6 billion gym visits every year, 6 billion. There are about 42,000 gyms across America, even more, 72 million customers a year. And it's been growing hard since covid and again, don't misunderstand me. I'm all for being in shape. Look at me. I'm, you know, I, I believe in being in shape. But I, but I believe, and I believe we should seek discipline in all areas of our life. But we need to understand this. All that's good. But God has a different standard for evaluating you. And it's not the way you look. It's not all that stuff. And let, let me say it this way. God's standard goes deeper. Than just physical fitness. First Samuel 16, 7. When Samuel was looking for a man to succeed Saul as king of Israel, God said, Do not look at his appearance. I've rejected him. Man sees what the man does not see what the Lord sees. For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees a heart. So it's natural for us, it's human for us to just see the natural and work on that the most, because that's where all the pressure is. And God is teaching Samuel straight up that he wants him to understand that. We place a high value on it. But God says, no, I'm going to examine the heart of the person that's going to work for me. Humans judge based on appearance, but God critiques the heart. And somehow, as I said earlier, David's heart was right. And that lets me know it's possible. It lets me know it's possible. He's a little sheep herder who becomes king of Israel. He's a, he's a man that God used dramatically in history. And, and God called Samuel to go get him. All because of his heart. He became a mighty warrior, a medal-winning general, he's an amazing guy, he's an intelligent, great leader, all those things. It all began with his heart. And I'm telling you, I believe if we met David today, he would be impressive. I mean, no doubt he would be impressive. He probably would look like me, you know, something kind of like this. And and he would be sharp and he would be well put together and physically fit and and who knows? You, I think there was something about him. There had to be a charisma that was amazing about this guy. But the thing that God cared about the most was his heart. And he had a lot of bad days. He had a lot of great days. We read his story, and his story is ugly at times. It's, it's a tough story as David, high profile as he was, sins desperately and displeases God, and it breaks his heart. But the whole time in Scripture when you read it, The heart of David sticks out, and it's a lesson for me. It's a lesson for us. And that's what God saw. God focused on his character more than his physical stature. And it's the same thing about you. He's more concerned about the integrity of your heart than your outward looks. And so that's one of the reasons this story exists for you and me today. It's to teach us that we've got to learn to live our lives differently than the way so many people do that we don't just develop our minds and bodies and forget about our hearts. That's how the world thinks. Because, again, that's where the pressure is. The pressure is always on external performance, how you look and what you do, what your grades are like, you know, where you're going to go to college, what are the decisions you're going to make that's going to make your life great, you know, you're going to be rich, you're going to be amazing, how can you make yourself beautiful, make sure you have the right haircut, the right clothes. I mean, all that pressure is there. But there's a deeper thing that we need to care about. You might be saying, Rob, I get all that. What do you want me to do? What do you want us to do about it? Uh, let's dig into a biblical understanding of, of heart for a few moments because it may not even be what you think. And, and for me to try to understand heart, I, I find it a difficult subject because it's so hidden and it's, we're so confused by cultural influence. If we go back to the Greek and the Romans, and they greatly influenced who, who we are today, They said the big struggle of life, okay, the the way to be good versus bad, the big struggle of morality, good versus evil, was between the mind and and passions. And, And what the Greeks and Romans, the ancient ones, said is that the soul resides in the mind. And they said all this other stuff... The eros, the, the, the things of feelings, reside in the body. So if you wanted to be an amazing person, achieve peace, have strength, have courage, all those things, you had to learn to subdue emotions and bring them under the control of the mind, which is where the soul was. That's what they said. They said, that's the great struggle. And we still think that way to some extent because we've been greatly influenced them by Greek and Roman thought. We think, well, if you emotions are out of control, get them under control and do the right thing. Let your mind tell your body what to do. Makes sense. There's a new twist in our culture today that I'm fascinated by. For us modern people, it's shifted. The struggle is different. Our culture has come to believe that our deepest feelings reveal our greatest truths. We've come to believe that the stuff that's layered down inside of our psyche and our emotional traumas, that's where the true person is. And if we can dig deep down inside of those feelings and find them, here's what we can't do. We can't betray those feelings. And so we've got a fight going on between culture, between people, between churches and institutions, as now the church is seen as repressing people and pushing them down, especially the church that attempts to stand in the way of all that self expression, self glorification, self realization. So everyone finds truth in life by discovering what they feel, and that becomes what they think. Truth is based upon this internal journey. That's why you're seeing so many strange and new ideas about identity. And I believe it's going to be one of the biggest challenges that face the church in the future, is the struggle for identity. Because Satan has found a way to confuse us. You know, you can't trust my emotions. Some days I'm a happy guy, some days I'm a mad guy, some days I'm a grumpy guy. Some days I think I'm pretty wonderful. But it's amazing how you can't trust it. Even in our family, you know, as you've heard me say many times, just the impact of not having a meal can change the way we look at each other. We suddenly don't love our family anymore because it's 5 o'clock and nobody's cooked dinner. And anger takes over and we get ugly. Beth and I, one night, she still reminds me of this. She's bitter. She's bitter. We got in the car and and we decided it's dinner, and we were gonna go to Cracker Barrel. Told this story before, but it just haunts me. And so I got in the car and says, go to Cracker Barrel, you know, that's health food. Let's go there. And (laughs) plus you can buy cool stuff. You can buy Mayberry CDs and stuff. It's a great place to be old. And so we get in the car and we, we get on the turnpike And I missed the 35, and I'm like heading to Wellston or something like that. Well, my family comes unglued. (laughs) Because here's what Beth said, and Alex is in the back yapping, she's yapping. It's going to take you 20 more minutes to get to a place where you can turn around and get us back to Cracker Barrel. We are just trying to eat, and it was a meltdown in my life. I had failed as a father, failed as a husband. I mean, I wasn't cheating on her, you know. I mean... I just couldn't get her fed. And if we built our life around that moment, it's over. We should be divorced right now. So when we finally get to Cracker bear. I'm reminded the whole night, well, if you'd gotten us here earlier, we could have sat down earlier. We could have already been eating all that bitterness. You understand? Emotions are Tricky. You know, who, who I am on any given day, on one day, I'm worthless. Okay, I'm a worm of the earth. Nobody cares about me. Another day, oh, I'm amazing. I'm going to start working out in the gym. You know, I can't live my life based upon my emotions. We all know that. Well, people are taking that and they've gone deep inside and they're, they're working through and it expresses itself in sexuality. It, that's very confusing to a lot of people. It expresses itself in what they want to do with life. And you'll hear people say, I think God just wants us all to be happy. That's not true. God does not promise you happiness. I just think things will work out. No, they won't. (laughs) I just think God's gonna make everything amazing and we're gonna skip through life's gonna be glorious. I go, no, 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 what Bible are you reading? Oh, that's right, you're not reading the Bible. You're reading your thoughts, your emotions about the Bible. You get it? It's dangerous. Well, guys, there's a deeper truth and this is the one we gotta hang on to this morning. The Bible teaches that the Greeks were wrong, the Romans are wrong, and certainly whatever this is coming to, the Oprah view of emotion, I don't know what it is, neither one is valid according to the Bible. The Bible teaches us one thing really deeply. It says the human struggle happens within this single entity. It's called the heart. In, In biblical thought, the Bible talks about the heart all the time, teaches about the heart. And to them and to us, this heart is this central place that really does control who we are. It even controls how we respond to hangriness, okay? If our hearts take over, we suddenly, they forgive me. They need prayer to still do that because I don't think they have. But if their hearts take over, they could forgive me for taking the wrong road to get to Cracker Barrel. And so in the Bible, the human struggle is not between just forces Externally and and through one part of our body and another, these forces have to do with how our heart is impacted. And you name it, in life, it'll attack you in the heart. Our physical heart is designed by God and, and protected. But this spiritual heart that He's given us, it's very exposed and it's susceptible to all kinds of things, diseases, and influences that can jeopardize our integrity. That's why the writer of Proverbs said, Proverbs 4 and 23, Guard your heart above all things. Okay, you just got to take that in. For it is the source of life. Okay? Your heart is the place that God works on. It's the place where God plants his seeds. It's the place where God speaks to you. It's also the place that gets attacked. And so he says, you've got to guard it. I couldn't quote that word enough for us today because it's so critical. If you're ever going to memorize the scripture, memorize this one. For your children, pray for their hearts to be protected. It's the source of life. Whatever happens on the inside of us, that's how we're going to live. That's who we're going to be. And so deeper still, the heart is used in scripture. It's kind of a metaphor for the seed of our most basic compass, our orientation, the rudder of who we are. Um, It's the living room of our most deepest and profound commitments. And and when we drill down, the heart is that place that reveals what we trust the most. The heart is where we store what we love the most, what we hope for. The Bible calls it treasure, Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Okay, that's, that's rough. Okay, that's that's hard truth. It's a big-time idea. It's revolutionary. It's about what captures us the most. Every heart, Scripture teaches us, sets a direction for us. Galatians 6, and, or Genesis 6 and 5, the Scripture says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth, and that, get this, every inclination... And thoughts of the heart was evil all the time. Okay? Evil generates in that space. And so here's some thoughts if you want to take these notes. The heart determines. It sets the stage for our thinking. Right? Proverbs 23 and 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. It sets the stage for our will. Proverbs 16 and 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course. Okay? Proverbs 16, One, To humans belong the plans of the heart but the Lord comes to properly answer it. It's our plans. Matthew 12, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for the tree is recognized by its fruit. It comes out of what it is on the inside. Jesus said, you you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? And here's the heart, the part that hurts the most. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This spiritual place, this direction of the heart controls everything, determines our thinking, our feelings, our decisions, our passions, our dreams, and our actions. As a result, God wants that the most. He wants that to come under his control. And what we love the most is what we're going to find desirable and rational, and therefore that's what we're going to do. And the truth is this, whatever we cherish in our hearts the most controls our whole person. So the great battle is deciding where your heart's greatest love and trust and hope and passions will be directed. And I know this is tough because there's a whole world out there that's trying to get your attention. But for the believer in Christ, this is the biggest and most radical wrestle of our lives, the condition of our hearts. Forgiveness comes, Jesus offers it through grace, the blood of Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about that in weeks to come. And it covers our hearts, it protects us, it helps us. But that heart, that place in there is some place that God obviously says you can work on and you need to protect it. The greatest battle is deciding where our heart's greatest love and trust and hope and passions will be directed. And so God tells us this place, this sacred, wonderful compass inside of us, we must protect it at all costs. So I want to give some biblical advice. And I know it's hard to understand And and we'll dive into it some more next week. But but here's some things that will protect your heart, okay? Some practical advice from a pastor. Number one, build some guardrails in your life, okay? And this sounds a little old-fashioned, but what I mean by guardrails is your activities, who your friends are. A lot of those things can be such big influences. You know, you need a few good Christian friends in your life. You really do. I'm not saying you can't be friends with people that aren't believers, but you've got to have some believers in your life because they're going to speak truth to you in a way that nobody else can, and they're going to help fortify your heart. Don't turn your back on other people, but your closest confidence need to be believers because they're going to influence you. I have a best friend. We've been friends since we were in our 20s. He's a believer in Christ. I'm a believer in Christ, and there's never a problem with the way he guides me. I've had another friend in life, when I sit down and lunch for him, I get embarrassed at some of the stuff he tells me he wishes we could do. He's asked me to go do things so many times. I go, you forget, I'm a pastor. He says, all right, I forgot, you don't have fun. I go, I do, I have lots of fun. I just don't do it at that kind of place. I'm not going with you. There's been so many people come to me in my life and they've just said, oh, if I could get you to go do this one thing, it'll change your life forever. No, you don't understand. I don't want that. So, you know, I love those people, but they don't need to be my best friends. My best friends need to be encouraging me to grow in Christ and grow in the love of Christ. And if your friends are not encouraging you in that direction, you need to put some guardrails up and find some good friends. And this applies to students, children. Find those Christian kids in your school and befriend them, become friends with them. And if they're picking on you and abusing you and treating you bad, go find somebody else that says they're a Christian and find those Christian friends. Go to those organizations, the FCAs and things like that where you can find other kids. Adults need to do it too. In this church, we're forming, so many good things are happening as we're forming friendships with one another. And I'm not talking about being prudish and religious. I'm just talking about protecting your heart the people that you're around the most. Put those guardrails. Maybe it's about what entertains you. I don't know. We don't need to be prude and religious and ugly because none of that makes you holy. But I am talking about protecting your heart. Number two, you can be a person who learns to love the Word of God. Okay, that's good advice for you. Just ask God to show you more in His Word and teach you more about his word, and let that word speak to you. Where is it going to speak to you? It's going to speak to your heart. It's going to fortify your heart. And the more you have of the the thoughts of God, the less the world will influence you. And I know it's hard. I'm just a man just like you. And be part of a church that loves the word of God. We love the word of God here. Hear the word of God. Absorb it. Discuss it. Pray about it. Fellowship around it. And you know, I'm not demanding that you follow anything I'm saying. I just hope you're inspired by something that you hear from the Word of God, and it makes you want to love God more. Be like David, who just loved God. And and, and this point's the biggest. Live your life from the inside out. I I believe that we should have excellence and discipline in all areas of life, okay? But if you're going to fail somewhere... Don't let it be with your heart. Proverbs 3 and 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Look at that. That's a smack in the face of moderate thinking. Trust in God's voice to give your heart direction. And, and get this. Don't even try to figure things, all things out on your own. Ask God to help you. That's what the Bible says. I hear my brothers at breakfast we meet once a month and we'll often say, you know, I just... The intent they'll say is this. I'll find myself going along trying to solve a problem and then realizing I haven't even prayed about it. You know, we need to work on things like that and just not trust in our own direction. It doesn't mean that we think we're stupid or that we, we don't have wisdom. Maybe God's guided, given us guidance in the past that we could apply again. But start with prayer. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Say it out loud. Okay. And lean not to your own understanding. Smack those Greek thoughts around. Trust in God's voice to give your heart direction. Okay? Take in all the information about a decision. You know, look at the spreadsheets. Neil does spreadsheets. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you don't know anything about their lives, it's on a spreadsheet. But I know he prays about it too. Examine what it is deeply that you love the most. Okay? And, guys, you can't change by just merely changing your thinking. It's part of it. Or through acts of will. You only change by changing what you love. Change happens not just by giving our mind new truths, although it does involve that, but it changes when we fall in love more and more with Jesus, with God. If you're a man that falls in love with God, you'll become a great husband. If you're a woman who falls in love with the Lord, you'll be a great mom and friend. If you're a child that falls in love, you'll be a great kid. I believe that stuff. We seek to follow the heart of Jesus by seeing Jesus, how he gave his life for us. We did communion this morning, and tears were coming up in my eyes as I'm getting all Eastery in my heart. That's a real word, Eastery as we worship a crucified savior as we see the sacrifice of that savior did you come to know more about that the more that transformed your heart i am so grateful for what he's done for me this is the highest calling god and jesus put it out there he made it hard he smacked us in the head with it love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength guys that's the secret That's the secret to a life well-lived. I promise you. Bow your heads with me this morning. I love you so much. I hope you're challenged. I'm challenged. God, I pray for the pressures of life that my congregation feels right now and those things for the folks at home, the folks here in this space. God, the pressures that will sometimes cause even me to think about skirting your truth what if I did it differently God temptations are everywhere for us so God I pray for my people I pray for your people I pray for my friends this family of mine this family that is my church today I pray for every child I pray for every middle school high school student young adults midlife people our older folks I pray for our hearts. Protect my church's heart, God, from a world that just wants to deceive them, that wants to beat them up and steal away a heart that loves God. So God, if it was possible for David to love you so much that you were impressed, It's possible for us. So let us be like David. Let us, God, come to know that. I pray, God, that you'll allow me, Lord, to be an example of what it means to love you, God. I've got work to do. You need to help me, Lord. I I plead your blood upon my life. That, God, the things I love and cherish the most will reflect you. That I will care the most. I'll care more about you, God, and the impact of that on other people than my own success, my own appearance. Help me, Jesus. Help us all. God, we humbly bow before you, and I pray again, once again, for the pressures my friends feel, the pressure that just wants to push us and push God out of our hearts. God, we're in a silly world right now. We need you desperately. So, God, thank you that your word does fortify our hearts, and you'll make us great warriors for you, and you'll you'll raise us up to be the champions that you've called us to be. Every student, every individual, none of us, God, have to be like Saul.